Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's that time of the year where the tournament is finally upon us. College basketball takes center stage. BetOnline is the number one spot for bets, odds, information, and the 2022 college basketball bracket contest. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get started today. Bet online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of The Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 15th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is you may be listening here on the podcast. We've got March Madness coverage coming at you here today. Razor Rosenthal is back And we are going to talk a lot about March Madness here today on the show. We will get to that in a second, but we begin here today talking a little bit in the A block about NFL free agency. So it looks like here in 2022, the Jacksonville Jaguars are the team that has to pay the extra money for mid-level free agents because you have to pay people extra in order to come play for your terrible franchise. It was the Lions back in 2018. It was the Jets in 2019. And then in 2020, it was the Miami Dolphins. Last year, it was actually the Patriots, which was a little bit interesting that the Patriots were the team that spent a ton of money. And that one actually kind of worked out for them this year. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars who find themselves as the team who has to pay a ton of money for mid-level free agents. They gave $21 million per year, possibly that's an up to amount, to Christian Kirk. They gave $10 million a year to Zay Jones over the next three years, which is essentially just a Kendrick Bourne contract from last year for the Patriots. They paid one year $10 million to Evan Ingram, which I'm not going to crap on them that much for that one. Like Evan Ingram getting uh, $10 million a year for one year, not that terrible because you can just write off the contract at the end. Uh, they signed, what is his name? Uh, Brandon Sheriff 
the guard from Washington who got franchise tagged two years in a row. We don't know the details at the time of recording, but based on Joe Tooney getting 16 million a year last year, it'll be somewhere between 17 and 18 million per season. And Foye Aluakon from the Jet, from the Atlanta Falcons got 15 million dollars per season to play for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Jaguars essentially for those players, uh, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram. Uh, Christian Kirk, Foye, Oluokon, and Brandon Sheriff. Those five players will essentially make up $55 million per season for the Atlanta Falcons. And if you count in the Sheriff deal, which we don't know exactly, could be anywhere from 60 to $70 million per season under the salary cap for the Atlanta Falcon or sorry for the Jacksonville Jaguars they are the team that had to pay what i think this year would be fair to call the quote unquote jaguar tax the jaguar tax is when you have to pay extra so that these mid-level free agents will be willing to join your team instead of going to join a team for less money that is ready to compete for a championship or maybe has a ready-made quarterback and that whole situation. By the way, the Jets tried to do the same thing too. The New York Jets tried to give CJ Uzama $8 million per year. They just couldn't compete when the Jaguars are throwing around $20 million per season to Christian Kirk, the equivalent of what Amari Cooper was getting dumped on the Cleveland Browns for in a weak wide receiver market, Christian Kirk getting $20 million is insane. And also it's just an anomaly. Like it's not like this is what the wide receiver market is going to be. No, it's a crap contract for the Jacksonville Jaguars to hand out. The Jacksonville Jaguars know that that's why they've set outs in the contract after two seasons for Christian Kirk, who is a mid-level free agent wide receiver, even in a weak wide receiver class. Like Mike Williams only got $15 million per year from the Chargers. And Christian Kirk gets this money knowing that, yes, you go play with Trevor Lawrence, but you are signing up for a really, really shitty situation. And a lot of these free agents are signing up for really, really shitty situations. Brandon Sheriff, It doesn't really matter that much. He's coming from Washington and it's an offensive lineman. So it doesn't really impact the game as much as one might think because it's hard to measure interior offensive lineman values. But the Jacksonville Jaguars have essentially decided we are going to go all in on mid-level free agents, despite the fact that we as a franchise are not in a position right now to win big. Now the, the AFC South is in a weird place right now because we know the Texans are going to be bad. The Texans are just now starting a rebuild, as we talked about on Sunday's episode of Wired Up and the Believe in Texans podcast that I host. The Indianapolis Colts are really good. The Tennessee Titans are kind of mid in the AFC. So the Jaguars can move up and down this path. They're clearly the third team in the AFC South right now. And the Jaguars will get better by making these signings. Like, I don't want to pretend that these are moves that are going to lead to the Jaguars having the number one pick. Simply by trying, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be good enough to win five games next year or six games on paper. Simply by trying, they're going to get that close. And those players that they've added, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, even if you subtract DJ Chark, uh, they're going to bring back Lavishka Chenault, obviously. They're going to sign a middle linebacker and a defensive tackle. Those pieces will make them better. 
They won't make them better to the point where they're going to make the playoffs. They're not going to get better where it's going to springboard a dynasty, but they're hoping that Trevor Lawrence ends up becoming the player that they drafted him with the number one pick for. They're following a formula that we talked about before. The Detroit Lions followed in 2018. The Jets followed in 2019. The Dolphins tried in 2020. And the Patriots tried this year. And those end results were the Miami Dolphins missed the playoffs, the the Detroit Lions missed the playoffs, the Jets missed the playoffs, and the Patriots got bounced in the first round in a splendous fashion by the Buffalo Bills. And what's fascinating is that for every single one of those teams, it was the best course of action they had at their disposal. The Jaguars don't really have a path to becoming great again, but they've been at the top of the draft for two consecutive seasons. They traded Jalen Ramsey because they didn't want to give him a contract extension. And then they just gave Christian Kirk the same amount of money that Jalen Ramsey got from the Jack from the Los Angeles Rams. But Jalen Ramsey represented an opportunity to acquire Trevor Lawrence. And so all of this is complex. And I'm not even saying that the Jaguars won't be good next year. It's just proof why the Jaguars are essentially playing minor league football and everyone knows it. Because Christian Kirk is not worth more than Zay Jones on the open market. That's just what the Jaguars had to pay in order to get Christian Kirk to come play for their team, to be a wide receiver one, even though Christian Kirk wasn't even like wide receiver three on the Arizona Cardinals. Like this is just what the Jaguars had to do, or at least the Jaguars thought they had to do. Now, the more sustainable path would have been you wait until the right players come available and you give them gigantic contracts and you move picks for established players on other teams. That didn't obviously happen this time for the Jaguars, but the Jaguars are going to do the best they can with the pieces that they have. And it's going to make the Jaguars better. It's just not going to make the Jaguars good or average or a team competing for the playoffs, but that could be the case now in football because the playoffs are incredibly, incredibly low bar to hit as the Eagles and bears in my, the 2020 bears and 2021 Eagles in my book didn't make the playoffs. And the 2021 Steelers just didn't make the playoffs because the bar is incredibly low once you get in the middle and the Jaguars are trying to get into the middle the same way the lions did that one year with Matt Patricia, where they went seven and nine or six, nine and one or whatever it ended up being. And the jets tried with Sam Darnold and giving him Le'Veon bell and trying to give him, uh, wide receiver help and signing line, uh, signing what's his name, CJ Mosley for $20 million a year and signing Avery Williamson to a giant contract and signing Tremaine Johnson and signing LaMarcus Joyner. They tried all of those things over and over again, and it just didn't work out because the franchise, it was trying to plug holes in something that was foundationally broken. And NFL teams that get cap space try this all the time, which is we're going to spend all of it within 24 hours on mid-level free agents that in the NFL, it's so difficult for players to hit free agency because now even the ones who are slightly carrying value can get franchise tagged by teams. Mike Gusecki was getting franchise tagged by the Dolphins and we shit on Mike Gusecki all the time on this podcast. Like The fact that there's so many people that can come available in the NFL now I'm sorry, that there's so many ways to keep your players around. One, just pay them market value. 
and deal with the repercussions later, but to also go through the franchise tag process for even the most middle of the road or slightly above average free agents. It's so difficult for people to hit free agency as we're seeing Trubisky sign with the Steelers. It's that position, especially too. Trubisky being the best available option for teams or Andy Dalton last year being the best available option in free agency suggests free agency isn't a viable option to upgrade your team. It's a viable option to get yourself middle of the road players or at least get yourself into the middle of the road camp by just having players at those positions as opposed to tanking teams that don't have skilled players at those positions. So money can buy you somewhat of a level of stability, and it usually is a fleeting case. This is changing in the modern NFL landscape, but traditionally across the last 10 years, the team that spends exorbitant amounts of of money in free agency sees a one-year improvement and then immediate dips afterwards. It has more to do with the career arc of NFL players, but also these mid-level players aren't going to make significant improvements for your team. And then if they have an injury, which is inevitable in some cases, when you sign five or six NFL players in their mid-20s, some of them are going to get hurt. Then all of a sudden the team begins to dip. And because you've now spent all this money in a salary cap sport, you can't make improvements when the regression happens because you're in a salary cap purgatory as the New York Giants are attesting to right now as they only have $1 million of cap space available. So this is the cycle right now of teams that are essentially minor league football. If you are a minor league football team, you sign a bunch of people, you get slightly better and one season improvement leads to a regression. The GM gets fired, the coach gets fired, or at least the GM usually gets two of these three-year cycles. And then you go back to being terrible and you look up one time and it's 15 years have passed and your team is as shitty as the New York Giants, the New York Jets, the Detroit Lions, and the Miami Dolphins and the Jacksonville Jaguars have been over the past 15 to 20 years. And the reason is in a salary cap sport, Christian Kirk knows your team is ass. Zay Jones knows your team is ass and you have to pay extra for those guys. When Kendrick Bourne's getting $8 million to join the Patriots last year, Zay Jones is only getting $10 million to join the Jaguars and teams that are desirable can pay slightly less for those guys because they know that they hold leverage in the negotiations. Jaguars hold no leverage in negotiations. And so Trent Balky just paid $60 million per year to Brandon Sheriff, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, and Foye Oluokan. Five players, a linebacker, an interior lineman, and three skill position players that don't make the Jaguars any... I mean, they make them better, but none of those guys are number one receivers. The Jaguars add zero number one receivers to their team and... They don't get exponentially better as a result of this. They get better than being two and 14, but that two and 14 team was designed to have no talent and a coach that totally destroyed locker room morale. The Jaguars will get better because they're influencing more talent. It just won't make them good enough to legitimately compete unless Trevor Lawrence is as good as Joe Burrow in his second season. In that case, They might be able to sneak into the playoffs because Trevor Lawrence will elevate a lot of those players that they've added, but getting Jamal Agnew, 
and uh, Lavishka Chenault and uh, Travis Etienne back healthy and maybe James Robinson and adding those five players I mentioned, it will make the Jaguars better. It will just make the Jaguars a five-win team or a six-win team on paper with no cap flexibility to continue building off that success. And ultimately, it'll probably end up failing Trevor Lawrence and it'll fail Doug Peterson because the Jaguars are just a minor league football team that has to do what they can do. And one time every 25 years, the mismanagement will somehow get lucky enough to come within eight minutes of going to the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, like they did with Blake Bortles as their quarterback, by the way. Hello? I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. How am I sounding? Sound beautiful. Wonderful. How are you feeling on this fine Monday of March Madness week one? Not sure how I feel. We're going to know a lot more how I feel on Friday, but uh, ready to go. It's a big one. Interesting. Friday is uh, <laughs> Friday's towards the end of the week, but I guess that is the bulk of your uh, your March Madness day and anything else you got going on in your life. Cause then it's the weekend. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. I think, I think on Friday is when I'm going to be looking at my, uh, my betting account and seeing uh, what, where we're at. And, you know, it's just, again, I, I say this all the time. I don't bet this tournament huge. It's more of a, you know, play the brackets, play the survivors, but still want to play the, you know, play it a little bit here, but uh yeah, it's exciting. Uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to go over everything and I'm ready to roll, man. All right. Well, right off the bat, I want to ask you about some of the stuff that happened in Champ Week. Obviously, you were excited about that when we talked last week and we had, you know, Virginia Tech go on a crazy run in a ACC that, you know, wasn't the strongest conference this year, but they still put four teams in the tournament. Uh, we saw what happened with Villanova winning the Big East. We saw Oklahoma try and make a run, Texas A&M try and make a run. All kinds of interesting stuff happened there. So what did you make of the final three to four days of the college basketball season? Well, first of all, as you know, and maybe some of your listeners know as well, I am an ACC guy. I am an NC State graduate, and I have to correct you because I'm proud of our crappy basketball conference. Kyle, we have five in the field of 68. <laughs> we have five. Notre Dame. I, I guess I didn't count Notre Dame. You I, have to I, count I, Notre Dame. They are in the <laughs> tournament. Um, they are in, and they have a very tough matchup, and Dan will talk about that soon. Um, so what stood out to me uh, was Virginia Tech and their incredible ability to shoot the three lights out. And what really stands out is the fact that it was Clemson that should have beat them, and everybody else just got blown out by the Hokies. Um, I had a Duke Futures ticket to win the ACC at minus 150. Felt very confident about that. Uh, but this is a fraudulent team that cannot guard the three. And we saw that on display pretty much each game against Syracuse, Miami and Virginia Tech. Um, I think it's a it's a travesty that Duke is on the two line after their performance at Madison Square Garden on Saturday night. Other things that unfolded that were surprising, maybe Iowa winning the Big Ten after a, a huge collapse the week before at Illinois. Um, nothing else really dramatic stands out. Arizona takes care of business. San Diego State, Boise State collided in the championship game out in Vegas, as we expected. Uh, Kansas just doesn't lose these tournaments. They typically win in Kansas City near
nearly every single year. Uh, and you can make an argument. The same thing goes in Madison Square Garden for Villanova. So um, Texas A&M, the biggest surprise maybe of all conference championships, uh, found their way all the way uh, to the finals, just ran out of gas against Tennessee. Um, another big storyline was Richmond, but not shocking to me. Richmond was, I think, one of the better A-10 teams that just really disappointed during the holidays around December through early January. They had a bad stretch, but I think pound for pound, one of the best teams in the A-10 and overseeded here and at, at number 12. I just don't think they were deserving of a 12 seed. I think they should be in Dayton and not the likes of Indiana or Wyoming. Yeah, but winning the conference championship kind of gives them that extra boost, though, right? Is that because they win the title, they don't end up going to the 11-12 matchups. In, well, that um, could be the case. I don't even know that was a rule. If that's the rule, I stand corrected. So I, I just I just don't think Richmond should even be on the 12 line. Let's just give them a 13 because they just didn't have the body of work to deserve that spot. Um, that was one seed that really stood out. Uh, the other seed that stood out, and I apologize for just kind of rambling here and, and you not asking the question, but um, we go to your conference. You're, you're an Aztecs fan, and I just don't understand why Colorado State earns the sixth seed. Uh, losing in the semifinals to San Diego State and Boise State winning the conference championship, both seated um, on the eight line, and they see Colorado State on the six line. That was perfect. Uh, very, very, uh, I just, you know, I don't know what the right word to use, perplexed, I guess. I just didn't understand where the committee went with that. But overall, I think they got the right teams in. Altogether, you weren't mad about, you know, SMU or Xavier, or Oklahoma not getting in the tournament at the at the very end. Xavier shot themselves in the foot at the end of the year. And then they that horrible loss against Butler in the Big East tournament um, put them off the bubble. I think Xavier is a very good team, but they they fell apart at the end. SMU is really good. I mean, SMU had Memphis on the ropes. And if they could have just figured out a way to hold there, they would be in the tournament. SMU is probably one of those teams that. I can make an argument for you can say the same for Wake Forest, but Wake Forest had a very, very bad end of the year and a terrible, terrible first round loss in Madison Square Garden to Boston College. So if there's any weight in these conference tournaments, uh, Wake Forest did themselves no favor. Um, and then on the flip side, you can ask, well, what about Texas A&M? You know, they did themselves a favor by beating some really good teams, but you know, Texas A&M had a horrible holiday season, as I mentioned before, uh, for some other teams. I mean, just like Richmond, I mean, they they went 0-8, I think, in the month of uh, mid-December through mid-January combined. You got to you got to look at the whole body of work. Great run by Texas A&M, but I don't think they belong in the field of 68. Yeah. Buzz Williams making his triumphant return after many years of becoming a March Madness punchline. Welcome back, Buzz Williams and Texas A&M for two days. We all believed in you making that miraculous comeback. Um, you mentioned the the Mountain West and they've got a couple eight, nine matchups in there. Uh, North Carolina's back in the 8-9 matchup this year for the second year in a row, which is interesting given how their postseason kind of ended, which was, yeah, they beat Duke and then they lost to Virginia Tech the very next week. So that and uh, your much maligned TCU Horned Frogs are also in an 8-9 matchup. So what do you make of those? And some of the one seeds too. I mean, the one seeds, we know they're all going to win their first round matchups, but you know, what do you make of the one sixteen and eight nines in the field of 68? 
I, I think if there's any storyline in the 116s, it's that Georgia State probably deserved to be on the 15 line at least. I think their uh, their unfortunate circumstances by landing Gonzaga is going to you know put them out of the tournament with really no chance. Um, the eight nine matchups that that appeal to me the most are the two that you did not mention. Uh, we'll go into the other eight nines. But I think Boise State Memphis is going to be incredible. I mean, you have a veteran Boise State team that has a lot of has a lot of depth, but they just don't have the horses maybe to run with Memphis. But Memphis is a very foolish team. They they, they play a lot of fool's gold basketball. Uh, they'll play four incredible games in a row, look like they can make a run to the Final Four, and then just absolutely collapse because they have uh, they don't have a ton of depth there. They have just superstars that all play together at times extremely well. Um, I like that game. I think Memphis will win that game. I think they'll emerge as the better team. Uh, then, you know, that Memphis-Gonzaga matchup should be interesting. Um, the other 8-9 is your, your San Diego State Aztecs playing a very different style of basketball than Creighton. Creighton likes to get up and down the floor quickly, and that is not what San Diego State does. Um, that's a tough game, uh, Kyle. I, I, I kind of – I think, I'm you know, if I'm in multiple brackets, uh, I'm just going to split that in half and just go, you know, Aztecs one way, Blue Jays the other way. Um, the, the only 8-9 matchup that really stands out – I think Seton Hall, you know, yesterday I said on my podcast, I was like, yeah, I think TCU is going to win this game. And then I, I just look at the, the overall body of work late last night of, of Seton Hall versus TCU. Seton Hall winners of five straight in the Big East regular season entering Madison Square Garden, just ran into a really good UConn team up there. And I, I think Seton Hall is the better team. I, I think Seton Hall advances and beats the Horn Frogs. Uh, Carolina Marquette, uh, once again, North Carolina faces a team from Wisconsin in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I don't know what to pick here. That's a 50-50 game for me. Carolina is so much more talented than Marquette, but they show laps of defenses, defensive play all the time. Marquette is a, a really good offense who can get up and down the floor. I, I lean Carolina, but not with any sense of urgency there. So I'm moving up to the West region of the bracket. I find interesting that they set up a possible Gonzaga versus Duke Elite Eight matchup because of how – that was the the quote unquote game of the year when they played back in Thanksgiving, I want to say, like Thanksgiving time of the year. So was that just a coincidence or they just kind of set the bracket up in such a way? Duke was the worst of the two seeds, presumably, because they're in the same side of the bracket as Gonzaga. Um, was that just kind of a luck of the draw that they could have that matchup and I, I put that down as the chalk matchup that makes it to the Elite Eight, but obviously Texas Tech is very good. Arkansas is pretty good. You just showed UConn their praises. What do you make of that kind of top of the West region? Well, I think I think if you're the committee, you have Duke as the number eight team, right? I mean, they barely slip in as a two seed. So naturally, you, you want to make sure that the one seed plays either the seven or number eight team in the country. Uh, Duke being, I think, number eight has to be. And I would imagine Auburn number seven in this uh, scenario. So um, I uh, I think Duke is fool's gold, but I also think they are capable of winning the West. Um I'm going to split them up losing to Texas Tech in some pools and then beating Texas Tech. I, I also have Texas Tech losing to Alabama round two. Just like Duke, this is a team that can run up and down the court, shoot the ball, jack threes, and make them about at 45 50%. They also are a team that plays no defense. Pretty similar team. Uh, to Duke and Alabama would be a fascinating matchup, but I think Duke just has too much talent. Um as much as I love Duke to win the ACC, they, they underperformed in, in Madison Square Garden all three games. Uh, I do think that we will likely see Duke and Zaga like you just said. I, I do think Duke has a 
pretty good draw here. They avoid some really good three seeds, in my opinion. I think Texas Tech is good. They play tough defense, but they don't shoot the ball that great. And that's how you beat Duke. Teams like Virginia Tech that can shoot the ball uh, from downtown, those are teams that really scare Duke. Teams that play really good zone defense at times, like Syracuse, that's a team that scares Duke. So really good matchups, I think, for the Blue Devils. Of course, I think getting through Davidson, if, if Davidson beats Michigan State, will may be a, a tougher challenge than Texas Tech. But I'm with you here. I, I'm going Gonzaga versus Duke in a chalky Western um, final here. And, you know, interesting, you know, Gonzaga just doesn't have the guard play to match up with Duke. And then you saw that about three months ago, that it was the Duke guards that took over that game. But the front court uh, is so far superior than Duke's. I, I really think Gonzaga is the better team, and I think they will win the West. Well, what do you think about the five and four in that region? UConn, Arkansas, interesting first round matchups against New Mexico state who exists to be a 12 or a 13 seed. Everyone picked them as an upset and then they lose in the first round and Vermont going up against Arkansas. Yeah, I I think, I think Arkansas will beat Vermont. I do have a little hesitation to place UConn over New Mexico state as a guaranteed win. I I think New Mexico state's really good. I mean, they really dominated their conference. Uh, I do think both teams emerge though. I think the experience of UConn is probably going to be a big factor against New Mexico state. Um, I I feel like Arkansas has the ability and they didn't show it in the semifinals of the sec championship. Um, They play very good defense and they also can shoot the three. Uh, And I, I think Vermont's always one of those teams that everybody remembers members in that 4-13 matchup back in uh, against Syracuse, wherever that was held. I think it was up in the Northeast. So Vermont had a huge following there when they beat Syracuse, maybe whatever that was, 12, 13 years ago. But I, I like both teams to advance and I, I give the edge to UConn here. Uh, I just, I just, I think UConn is the, is the, is the definitely the more mentally tough team compared to Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas really at times will, they always play great D, but they do lack scoring. And we saw that against the Aggies in the semifinals. Um, I have UConn with not a ton of confidence to reach the Sweet 16. All right. I like that pick. I went Arkansas, similar types of reasons. You mentioned the three seed Texas Tech in that region and how it was a good draw in that region of like a weaker three seed, but it feels like everyone had complaints about every three seed this year. So Purdue gets to play Yale. They should be fine there. They, you know, ideally coast to the Sweet 16, unless you, you see Texas being a, uh, a legitimate threat or Virginia Tech being the hot team with the three-point shooting. Um, Wisconsin matches up against Colgate. Tennessee, I know UCLA fans really wanted to be the three seed instead of Tennessee, but what do you make about the three seeds? Kind of, I guess, Texas Tech to me looked like the best of the three seeds going into the tournament in a weird way. Yeah, Texas Tech may be the best three seed, but I just think their matchup against Duke really favors the Blue Devils. I think Tennessee has the easiest path to make a regional final here. I mean, I I really think that they will beat Colorado State or Michigan um, if they play the way they've been playing over the last three weeks. Not only did Tennessee win the SEC championship, but I mean, they're on a roll. I mean, I I can't remember the last time Rocky Top has lost a game. And this team is robbed of a two seed. Uh, The last time they lost was against Arkansas on February 19th, Kyle. So now as we approach round two, that will be exactly one month since 
the Tennessee Volunteers actually lost the game. So I think Colorado State and Mich- or Michigan in trouble against Rocky Top and Villanova. Again, you know th- this is a very good veteran team. They have great guard play, decent interior play. But that Villanova-Tennessee matchup, I, I want it to happen. I want to see Villanova emerge there to play the Volunteers. And I think Tennessee's the better team. And I think Tennessee is the only three seed uh, that will advance to the Elite Eight. Interesting. So Villanova was a team that you said earlier, like they might win the Big East, and then they did win the Big East because Providence was an incredibly lucky team this year. But they weren't as good as many of the Villanova teams of the past. Now, I still had them going on a long tournament run because I just I feel weird about Arizona, I guess. But I had Villanova going on a long tournament run and they are they are kind of in the same boat where they're as good as Tennessee kind of and they play a lot of easier matchups to get there. So is it just that the South region doesn't have a ton of great teams outside of Arizona and therefore if I take out Arizona, the conference is or the that side of the bracket is a little bit open. Yeah, I think the South, you can make an argument that the South versus the Midwest are the two, you know, weakest brackets. You never really know until you actually get onto the floor on Thursday. I I, I just think Tennessee's path is the easiest of the three seeds. I think Wisconsin's gonna, you know, be in a little bit of trouble versus that LSU Iowa State winner. I, I just I don't trust Wisconsin. I mean, you look at that team without Johnny Davis on the floor, that team is bad. I mean, they 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 do not look good and they have no depth. I mean, Wisconsin typically is a team in the past with eight guys. They don't really play more than six or seven guys at the most. I, I just don't like Wisconsin. I think Auburn has a great path. As bad as Auburn's been playing. They really lucked out. I mean, they could lose to USC or Miami, but I think they're going to be happy to run into an LSU, Wisconsin, or Iowa State in the Sweet 16. They really couldn't have asked for um, much of a better draw there. So I like uh, I like Auburn down there, and I don't think Wisconsin emerges past Auburn. As far as Purdue goes, I mean, I'll tell you, I mean, th- th- this is the most talented three seed, but they just can't put it together. Purdue is a team that wins two, then loses one, wins three, then loses one because they don't play defense. I mean, they have all the scores in the world. They have depth. They rotate nine guys. But, you know, can they stop Kentucky? Maybe. I mean, I think I think Purdue needs to play Texas, not Virginia Tech, because Texas doesn't score very much. And they play great defense, but Purdue just has the horses to outscore Texas in a game. So, uh, Purdue-Kentucky is going to be really fascinating. I really want that 2-3 matchup to happen. Not too excited for Auburn-Wisconsin. If any three-seed goes down, which I hope goes down, is Wisconsin because I just think they're a very average team. So I'm really hoping to see that Purdue-Kentucky matchup, which would be an SEC Big Ten matchup. And uh, I'd love to see Villanova versus Tennessee. Uh, Villanova is an interesting team, and they escaped all of their games in the Big East tournament. The UConn game was their best game. They won that game you know, pretty handily. I think it was a two-point game with three minutes to go, and they went on a, maybe like a, a, a 12-2 run at the end of the game to, to wrap that up. But I, I just don't trust Villanova as we get deeper against some of these great teams, even though they have experience. I, I think they're the, the least talented two-seed. So your knight in shining armor, it would appear, is Colgate. You're hoping for Colgate to just get rid of Wisconsin early in the tournament so that we don't have to pretend that Wisconsin is a good team. You could have second year in a row, 14 seed, who almost pulled the upset of Arkansas last year going in and beating Wisconsin. Maybe Colgate would be your savior. Yeah, excuse me, Kyle. 
I don't really want to see Colgate upset Wisconsin. I just want to see LSU or Iowa State play Wisconsin and beat them, um, especially LSU. LSU is a really interesting story, what's going on there. But uh, Wisconsin will probably be one of my big money line plays. I mean, they're, they're only laying seven and a half. I, I don't know much about the toothpaste, uh, Colgate. I really don't. <laughs> I, I, I wish – I'm going to do a little bit of work on them, you know, check out their Ken Palm and, and, and read into this, but it's a little juicy there uh, on, on Friday. I think, I don't know if that's a Thursday or Friday game. It is a Friday game. I, I like, uh, I like a money line parlay so far. The thing that stands out for Friday would probably be for uh, a big 10 money line parlay with Wisconsin and Illinois, everybody talking about Chattanooga pulling off the upset. I just don't see it happening, happening. This Chattanooga team, they're really good. And they have some transfers from some great schools, but let's look at the body of work. They don't beat anybody. You know, it's like, you know, of course they can do it, but when you look at who they play and you look at what Illinois has gone through in the big 10, it's just incomparable. I would be shocked if Chattanooga wins this game, but experts say they can. I, I say, no, I like Wisconsin, Illinois money line parlay on Friday. So who are the teams that you think could be pulling off upsets, whether they're 5, 12, 4, 13s, which, by the way, they mentioned on the broadcast, 4, 13s are the 13s are 5 and 7 over the last three years, which is an interesting shift in the trend. And of course, you know, there's there's maybe one 14 that's totally unpredictable or one 15 that's totally unpredictable. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Because I saw from two people we talked about last week, you talked about South Dakota state who hadn't lost since like December and they're playing Providence. Who's a team that you didn't like. Cause they were incredibly lucky in their victories throughout the season. So South Dakota state penciled them in for an upset. It felt too easy given the expertise that you gave last week. Yeah. South Dakota state surprisingly is only a two and a half point favorite. So that means Vegas thinks they have a very good chance to beat Providence. Probably a no play for me there, Kyle, just too dicey, too fishy to, to really believe that, that Providence has a four seed, probably the shortest number in NC2A history against the 13. I had never seen anything under probably five and a half before. So Maybe maybe we should just take Providence on the money line. Maybe maybe they run South Dakota State out of the gym and surprise everybody. Um, South Dakota State again, they don't lose, but they don't play many good teams. Providence wins a lot, but they don't beat teams by very much. That's a tricky, dicey game. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. It's not one of my big leans to take as an upset, but I think every 11 seed is live to win. I mean, Michigan is a favorite against Colorado State. That's pretty much unheard of, an 11 seed being a favorite uh, by two and a half. I don't know if you consider that an upset, but I think the Wolverines are capable of knocking them out. I think Iowa State's very capable of beating LSU. They just need to score more points. They play great defense, but they can easily beat LSU. I think that line is about three and a half favoring the Tigers. I think Virginia Tech is live to beat Texas. If Virginia Tech shoots anything like they did in the ACC tournament, Texas will not be able to match points with them. So Virginia Tech, only a two-point dog against the Longhorns, easily can win that game. And I think Rutgers, if they can beat Notre Dame, I think they have the horses to match up against Alabama. I would make Alabama maybe a two, two two-and-a-half point favorite in that matchup. So Man, these 11 seeds are just so live, and they really have a chance to win. And I think it's Indiana as a 12th seed. If they get through Wyoming, which I think they will, I think Indiana beats St. Mary's in that 5-12 matchup. I think Richmond's the worst 12th seed. I think Iowa will roll there. I wouldn't have any faith in Richmond 
to beat Iowa. Uh, other 5-12 matchups, uh, UAB is a good team, but they will just get run out of the gym, I think, against Houston. Houston just too much firepower for the Blazers, who are very lucky to escape Middle Tennessee State. And I think UConn-New Mexico State in that other 5-12 matchup, uh, UConn's a team that they they get down early. That's going to be a problem for the Huskies. And I think New Mexico State is possibly the most live 12 seed of all of them. Well, New Mexico State is the team that I pick every year, and every year they let me down. So this year I went for UConn <laughs> because I'm used to the New Mexico State letdown game. I was interested by Virginia Tech in that way because I think Virginia Tech is set up quite well, not just against Texas, and that might be recency bias because Texas as a three seed lost in a similar place last year. Um, but then even Purdue could be a fun matchup for them because they shoot a whole lot of threes like you talked about. So I, I think that one is fascinating. And I like that you said Rutgers, our anarchist Rutgers team could end up making a run here because that would be incredibly fun given that Rutgers was the team that last year captured our hearts because they hadn't won a tournament game in like 20 years and then somehow made it to the tournament. So I like that Rutgers is you know, betting favorites against Notre Dame and then could beat Alabama in the next round. That would be very fun to laugh at Rutgers going on a tournament run. Rutgers is good, though. I wouldn't laugh too much at this team. This, this, this team is really good. They just ran into a buzzsaw in Indianapolis. Uh, they, had a, they had a really nice cushion, Kyle. I think they're up by nine against Iowa at the about seven-minute mark in the first half, and then Iowa just came alive and deservingly so just, you know, beat them up pretty good and won the Big Ten Championship. I think Rutgers has the ability to really blast Notre Dame on third on Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not sure when that game is. I think they're the Wednesday game. Um, they are the Wednesday game. Yeah. So my 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 picks are the Big Ten teams. I, I do think it's going to be IU and Rutgers emerging to the field of 64. I feel obligated to pick Wyoming on that one. It, it, and the jokes we have about Rutgers have nothing to do with Rutgers as a uh, as a basketball team. It has to do with Rutgers as an athletic program because they have been terrible at everything my entire lifetime they have never been good at football except for those greg shiano years when i was a wee wee child and they have never been good at basketball and i find it funny that rutgers is now a tournament team every year coming out of the big 10 because they are usually very very bad at sports I was going to say, you had to be alive for those uh, Greg Schiano days. I know I was, I think, just a few years removed from college. Uh, and Rutgers, at one point, Kyle, was number one in the country. They, they, had, they, had a few, uh, they had a few weeks at number one. I think they beat Louisville at the time, who was one. They were, you know, it was a great game. Uh, the, the field goal win at the end by Judge Ito. His last name was Ito. Called him Judge Ito because of the O.J. Simpson case. But... Uh, yeah, great, great story for the Rutgers. I, I think they're, I think, I think Rutgers probably should be in the playing game. They, you know, maybe, but I don't think Indiana should be there. I think it should have been Michigan and Dayton, to be honest with you. It looks like the best Greg Schiano year was 2006. Sure. It would appear. Yeah. I would have been five years old at the time, there which you is go. interesting there. So they, they got as high as number seven. And uh, they were doing very well in the Big East, it would appear. They started the season like 9-0 and that year. So good on <laughs> good on the, the old Rutgers football team who ended I thought, up. I thought they reached number one. Maybe I was way off on that. The highest was seven, huh? Maybe it's a different year. It's, it's possible. That was just the only uh, double-digit win season that they had under okay. Greg Schiano. So maybe, maybe it was a different season that they 
jumped up in the rankings, but they were in the top 10 16 years ago. And since then, it has been a precipitous, precipitous decline for Rutgers football. (laughs) No doubt about that. It's been a struggle, but maybe, just maybe, they have a chance this year to uh, compete for a bowl game. They got, they snuck in the door, I think, when Texas A&M backed out of the uh, Gator Bowl, whatever it's called now, and then they just got blown <laughs> out by Wake Forest. So uh, who knows? Who knows what's going on with Rutgers football? I forgot about that. I forgot they got to play a bowl game on like four days notice. It was interesting there. Um, what else is there? How about 7-10 matchups? Obviously, the Miami team is going up against USC and I'm picking them in all my brackets for no reason other than just picking Miami to win Um, Murray State. I didn't realize they only lost two games all season. They could have been a six seed or five seed even given their their reputation this year. Uh, You mentioned Davidson earlier in their matchup against Duke. Sister Jean is obviously in there. Any any interest on the 710 lines, either gambling or bracket picking, anything of those sorts? They're all so great. I mean, honestly, like I, I, I really cannot wait to see Michigan State Davidson. It's a no play pre-flop. Always look at live, though. I always bet live on some of these games when I start to see an edge for one team. Uh, Davidson and Michigan State to me is the best matchup from a 7-10 uh, perspective. I, I think that can go either way. I think Michigan State is a very short favorite. Uh, to win that game you can you want to pull it up you have a great sponsor Kyle if you want to pull up some lines here and help me out I you know it's funny Kyle really haven't looked at the lines yet I've kind of like perused a little bit of of what's going on here for the tournament but I still think it's pretty early to start betting I I think there's always some storylines but I think Michigan State's probably favored by one or two points can't be that much I mean um, I think Davidson honestly is the better team than Michigan State and Michigan State is so fugazi at times um Murray, San Francisco. I, I think Murray's the one seven seed that really can roll here. I mean, everyone wants a mid-major matchup uh, between these two teams, but I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a short number there too. I would imagine Murray's only favored by two because San Francisco has a pretty good resume, way overseeded in my opinion for San Francisco. I think Murray should be on the seven or eight line, but San Francisco, if they were going to get in, that's another team you can almost make an argument that should be in Dayton. I like Murray there. They play such great defense, but San Francisco's tough, man. They have really played some good teams out of conference. Uh, Miami's uh, Southern Cal is really good. I mean, you, you talk about uh, two teams that have had some really good moments in conference play. Miami, you know, winning at Duke, which was huge. USC pretty much beating up everybody in the Pac-12 for the exception of Arizona. They split with UCLA and then really beat up all the bad teams. That's a tough game. I mean, I kind of lean Southern Cal there, but I don't really feel great about that. That That's one of those games where I'll put Miami over Southern Cal in some brackets and vice versa. I would, again, that's like probably a two-point spread as well. I mean, how do you make it more than two? Uh, Sister Jean, Ohio State, that's the contrarian play for me. I, I think Ohio State wins this game, and I think people are all over Loyola Chicago. You've heard it on ESPN, CBS, depending on you know what you listened to last night. Now, Ohio State doesn't play defense. They are banged up, but you know Loyola Chicago was terrible in the month of uh, February, late February and early March. I mean, they – they finally put it together for two games. That's all they really needed to do was to take care of business against Drake and Northern Iowa. Um, I, I, I think I think Ohio State is just if healthy, and there's going to be an interesting situation with Zed Key, Kyle Young. Are they both going to be there? Which I think they will. I think for this tournament, I think they'll be ready to go. I kind of like the Buckeyes here. You know, I, I don't want to put put it play it big, but. 
Um, too much hype for Sister Jean going to this tournament. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Drew Valentine has that Big Ten tie with Michigan State, probably knows Ohio State, but you people are making that argument. But what does he know about Ohio State? You know, that's just that's not the same Ohio State team that he competed against 10 years ago. So give me the Buckeyes. Okay, so here's some updates courtesy of our friends at Bet Online Sportsbook. Michigan State, one and a half point favorite against Davidson. We have Loyola, actually a one and a half point favorite over Ohio State, which is something you alluded to, certainly, as a, a, your contrarian in saying the higher seeded Ohio State would win. Uh, USC, two points against Miami. And going against what you said, San Francisco, one and a half point favorites actually against Murray State. Wow, that's crazy that that um, San Francisco would be the favorite. Maybe Murray's schedule is a lot weaker. Can you pull up Ken Palm for these two teams? Because that would make me want to believe that 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 San Francisco's Ken Palm is really high or, or at least close to Murray State because. That I found fascinating that you just you would said. be I correct no- that yeah. San Francisco is 21, according yeah. to Ken Palm, and Murray okay. State is 27, according to Ken Palm. San, so Francisco, right yeah. San Francisco is the highest double digit seed, according to Ken Palm, and they are higher than every seven seed, eight seed, and nine seed, according to Ken Palm. Well, there you go, and that's the reason why San Francisco is a short favorite there. I like Murray, though. I'm, I'm, I'm advancing Murray in most of my brackets there, but, of course, that I guess that's set up to be another battle. Tough break for Oklahoma, too. Oklahoma had uh, 30, according to Ken Palm, and they were the highest-ranked team that didn't make the tournament, according to our friend Ken Palm there. But they kind of boosted themselves at the very end with that last-second run to try and make the tournament by beating Baylor and trying to have a run in the Big 12 tournament. I also find funny that Porter Mosier is coaching Oklahoma and he just left Loyola and Loyola had the crazy run to make the tournament, but Oklahoma didn't make the tournament this year, which is a a sign of the changing times in college basketball, along with the fact that there were four teams from the Mountain West, three teams from the Big West, and only three teams from the Pac-12 that made it to the tournament. The West Coast put 10 teams in the tournament and they didn't have, they, they didn't come from the pack 12. Only, only three of them came out of the pack 12. Unbelievable. Wow. How about that stat? Yeah. The 10 West coast teams and only three of them came out of that conference, which makes me feel happy because I've been saying the mountain West is the better conference in sports for the past 10 years with San Diego state, Boise state football, Fresno state had a nice little run there in football you know, then the Pac-12 has kind of been in purgatory for a little bit there, but that one made me feel good a little bit. Um, is there anything else that you find interesting along this bracket? Here's the one storyline before I leave you, Kyle, is I think Kansas, um, you know, if, if they got an easy path, I think uh, overall compared to the other one seed. So I'll tell you that. Iowa's hot, but you never know. Iowa could stumble against Providence or South Dakota State, but I do think Iowa will emerge there to round three. Um, I think Kansas got themselves a good spot here, and I think I think they are a team that I think is a fraud. Uh, I've seen them just go into some major scoring droughts over the regular season. So um, if they would have had a tougher bracket, I would have probably thought Kansas would go down early, which they still very could go down to Iowa or, or Providence. You never know. But I do like their path the best. Um, 
I think the East is the toughest. I think they may have the weakest number one seed with Baylor, maybe, but boy, are those two through 10 seeds just really, really difficult. San Francisco on the 10 line there, as we just mentioned, Carolina on the eight line, that's no joke. And how about the 12 seed Indiana possibly? Um, St. Mary's a little bit heavy on the five seed. Didn't like that seed for them. I thought they were six or seven, but I guess they deserve the five based on some of their wins. Obviously, the win over Gonzaga really put them in a good spot. But um, I think the East is really deep. I think the, the the Midwest a little bit weaker, and I think the South on the weaker side as well. The West probably the second strongest for me as I uh, look at these brackets. What do you make of the UCLA St. Mary's kind of group there of one of those teams is going to make it to the sweet 16? Yeah, I think it's UCLA. I really trust UCLA to get to the regional final. I, I think they have the experience. They have incredible guard play, probably some of the deepest guard play uh, in the tournament. So I, I think UCLA will take care of business and beat and beat St. Mary's. Um and I think uh, – I don't know if St. Mary's will even get through Indiana. I think UCLA really needs to play St. Mary's to feel good about themselves. I think Indiana is capable of beating UCLA. But I think UCLA can beat Baylor, and I think UCLA is, a, is, a, is definitely a, a team that can get to the East Regional Finals, and I have UK emerging uh, out of the East. You're, I was going to say you're a big fan of Kentucky. I think you had them as your pick to – you know value play pick to win the national championship. So do you like the draw that Kentucky got? Yeah, I do. I, I think Purdue is going to be a little dicey for them if they play them. Purdue can score uh, probably as well as anybody, but we've talked about this in nauseum that they can't play D, so Kentucky just needs to show up and play really good offense, but still a scary matchup for them on a neutral court. Um, yeah, I think Kentucky doesn't have the length for Gonzaga right now. I mean, what, Gonzaga's front court just too big, too strong for UK. I think Gonzaga will, will get to the championship game, and I think it, it should be against Arizona. Arizona really looked good uh, in the in the championship game against UCLA. Didn't look great against Colorado early on in Las Vegas, but I think Arizona uh, on this side of the draw, they, they avoided Kentucky, they avoided Gonzaga. And so, you know, the teams that they got to get through, the likes of, um, you know, Villanova potentially, Tennessee, Rock Chalk, Kansas Jayhawk, maybe Auburn. I mean, these are teams that – I think Arizona are, are better than, but this is the NCAA tournament, Kyle, and I just don't have a ton of confidence really in anybody in the South or Midwest to guarantee a spot of the national title. So let me be chalky. Let me go with all these experts and just say Gonzaga plays Arizona in New Orleans for the title. My final point that I would like to bring up is, have you heard about the magical trend of Texas Southern University when they make it to March Madness? I don't, I don't know anything about this, so go ahead and elaborate. So if you take out the 2020 tournament that obviously didn't get played and they didn't field the, the, the tournament bracket, if you take out that year, the last five tournaments, Texas Southern has made the first round in Dayton four times in the five tournaments that have been played over the last six years. Apparently they keep winning the South or the SWAC championship or the Southland or whatever conference it is. And they just keep getting seeded to Dayton every single year in the 16, 16 matchup. What's their record in Dayton? Uh, I believe in this current stretch, they are Oh, and three. Okay. But they did also make it to Dayton twice in the early 2010s, and they won one time. So in the last like 10 tournaments, they've made it to Dayton like six times. 
Wow. Well, at least they have experience in that building. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a play on them against yes. Texas A&M Corpus Christi. We'll see. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, you know, it's funny, Kyle, I've never played the 16 uh, game in Dayton ever before. As far as from a betting standpoint, I probably will continue not to do it. I, I think that's probably for the best. I think <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> I think it's just that that conference is so bad. I think it's the Southland. If I remember, I, I, it's either the SWAC or the Southland, but uh, if it's the SWAC, then they kind of just, they're like the worst conference in college basketball. So the team that wins it obligatorily gets placed in the first round, I guess. I, I don't know exactly why it's always the case, but yeah, Texas Southern, uh, uh, by the way, their coach, now I know because they're there every year, their coach is Johnny Jones, who, oh, wow. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Former LSU people, coach, right? Exactly. He was yeah. famously the coach who had Ben Simmons and didn't yeah. make it to the tournament with Ben Simmons on his team. So yeah, Texas Southern is all, I mentioned this yesterday. They're always in the first round of the tournament and I'm absolutely fascinated by this. <laughs> I don't think you can, uh, if you're an average team in the NCAA uh, field right now, you probably still can't make the tournament with Ben Simmons. <laughs> so, I mean, how, how, what, what's going on in his life, but yeah, I mean, good luck to him and good luck to them. And I guess they're, they're going to await Kansas uh, in, in the round of 64, but that's a no play for me, Kyle. I am uh, staying very far away. Staying away. I, I know you've had, you know, you're betting against TCU again in your bracket, but do you stay away from all of the 8-9 games and stay away from all the 7-10 games and all the 6-11 upset games? Not always. Um, I probably actually won't bet on Seton Hall big and if i do bet it will be small because it's such a short number uh 611 games that i would bet on kyle as i look at these right now that i feel really good about the answer is none um again you could always go live i just i I can't emphasize that enough that if you're watching this these things unfold read the room well sometimes you get a team that 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 gets up early and you're like wow i mean yeah you're going to pay a bigger price for it but if they're rolling and you see some deficiencies with their opponent, I'd rather just bet it live. Um, yeah, th- I don't see anything that really stands out that I want to put big money on in these 6-11, 8 matchups whatsoever. Uh, I think if you can get a good money line price on Iowa, uh, pair them up with somebody, that should that should be good. Again, Wisconsin, Illinois, I've, I've mentioned all Big Ten teams on the money line so far. Uh, Arkansas on the money line against Vermont. I think that's a pretty low number. I looked at that and was uh, pretty surprised to see. I think Arkansas maybe like minus 280 or something like that. Um, you know, I, I feel really good about that. Um, I think Arkansas takes care of that. Uh, UCLA will not have a money line on it. So it's a no play for me as far as um, that goes. And yeah, again, just uh, just going to have fun watching these games, fill out a bunch of brackets, do Survivor, and not really uh, worry about putting too many units on it. I, I, I put a lot of units on this past week, did pretty well, Kyle. Not amazing, but did, did enough to where we, we made some money, and that's all that matters. We had fun with Conference Championship Week. Uh, a couple upsets that hurt. I think Butler really hurt when they beat Xavier. Xavier was one of my plays in that must-win scenario. Uh, led Butler throughout you know most of the game and just kind of collapsed at the end. So that, that one stung. And Arkansas stung when I took them over Texas A&M on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, that was Saturday two days ago. Um, that one that one hurt. I really thought Arkansas was going to run Texas A&M out of the gym. So the Aggies hurt me there. But overall, really good conference championship. And uh, just enjoy the tournament. Uh, Bet live would be a, a great recommendation as you read these teams and how they're progressing uh, the first ten minutes. 
Razor, I appreciate it. He's got a bunch of great guests coming on his podcast this week, so you should check that out for all of your March Madness fixings. Um, anything else you want to throw out here for the people to know before you head out? No, I appreciate the plug. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Rosenthal Razor. I work for Beer Life Sports. You can follow that Twitter handle at Beer Life Sports. Good luck to you, Kyle. Good luck to all your listeners. It is the uh, best two days, I think, of the year, which would be Thursday and Friday. I think momentum dies down a little bit on Saturday, Sunday, but there's nothing that compares to Thursday, Friday. I agree. They used to be my favorite holiday of the year when I was a child and you got to watch basketball during school. So I, I do think that this is one of the most wonderful days and wonderful weeks of the year. Even though I haven't watched very much college basketball this year, I can still root for laundry, even if I don't know many of the players once it comes to the tournament. You'll have a blast whether you've watched five minutes of hoops this year or seven days a week like myself. It just it never disappoints.